I think it wasn't until last year, I think it's only been a year or so now, it might have been longer, when the college admissions scandal broke that famous people were committing felonies, including Harvard-trained lawyers, to get their kids into school, that I realized this is a really big deal. Uh, Until then, I was just thinking, this is the most overpriced thing I've ever heard of. Yeah, I looked at this and I thought the only reason to go to any college if you're going to pay that kind of money is because the Alumni Association would protect you for life. But some of the people, well, it shouldn't be people, but some of the schools charging the most deluxe bucks don't have any Alumni Association to speak of that are going to matter. So there's a lot of questions. And, you know, the pandemic kind of changes everything, too, in the middle of it all. Suddenly things like all the Arizona schools that are 100% online are becoming appealing and legitimate, too. So a lot of things to talk about, but the guy who has all the answers is the author of Who Gets In and Why, Jeffrey Salingo, and welcome to WGN Radio. It's great to be here. Yeah, I I, uh, I enjoyed looking through your book. My favorite part was you went to Ithaca College, and uh, I thought that was uh, that was neat. Fine school for radio people. The Grease Man went there, and yes, exactly. Uh, exa- <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's good. But you brought it up, of course, because uh, to say that you know you didn't go to the the choicest Ivy League schools. I, I never wanted to go to college. I thought it was a ridiculous idea. But I grew up in the South in the '60s, and uh, they said, "No, you're a girl. You've got to get a degree in something." So I went to Suntan U, the University of Miami. So. We're about equal there, but it seems these days that uh, it's you know it's a very big deal. And I thought maybe after the Vietnam War, when people were majoring, majoring, I don't want to go to Asia and get killed, that it would subside. But it's only gotten bigger. So what's the deal? Well, we think that, uh, and research backs this up, that a college degree puts you on the right side of the economic line. And that most parents want their kids to end up on the right side, that right side of the economic line, because we think that opportunity is really scarce in this country. And we also think that increasingly, and this is more of a false narrative, that uh, that you have to go to the most selective college uh, in order to to get the best jobs. Okay. Uh, and and as I point out in the book, it's it's more about how you go to college, what you do while you're in college, than where you go. Okay, I want to play devil's advocate a bit, because most of the people that I know, unless they were going to be a lawyer or a doctor, or maybe going for that MBA and, you know, big in economics or something, uh, the kids who majored in things like art history or communications or uh, uh, philosophy, uh, they're more likely today to say, would you like fries with that, than the guy who went to a trade school and became a plumber. So while I can see the argument in some cases on that economic ladder, I think these days, considering what you're paying for it, there are many things that might be more economically sound than spending a fortune on a college. Well, I think that you need to look at the return on investment. But overall, we know that a bachelor's degree does pay off in most fields. Um, Even in some fields, it might take some time, but it does pay off over the course of a lifetime. But I think you're right. There are some uh, community college degrees. There are some certificates that have a very good payoff. And so what I always tell people when they uh, decide if they're going to go to college or where they're going to go to college is to look at the payoff of, of the degrees and from those colleges. We now actually have this information. It's called the College Scorecard. The federal government requires it. And uh, and you can look up essentially, from for any degree program, for any college that you're considering. And, and you need to look at that return on investment because you do not want to end up deep in debt and not have a job. 
Right, and many of these majors pretty much set you up for that. Not all, obviously, but a lot of them. Now, there's another thing, too. You're probably a little long of tooth. I'm probably besting you by a few decades, but I I can tell you that uh, after a couple years after college at the most, and maybe even not then, no one asks you if you went to school. No one. What they want to know is what can you do, what did you do, and in my life, the people who have been the most successful economically as well as just the career ladder for all the accolades and all that never set foot in a college. So I now let's talk about how much it costs on average, and I know this is a terrible thing to say because it, it swings dramatically, but just on average, a four-year diploma in anything, you know, basket weaving, doesn't matter. How much is that going to set you back? Uh, well, an average uh, public university will set you back about $30,000. An average private university will set you about, back about $50,000. Uh, for, uh, for four years? Oh, no, for four years. No, that's a year. So, um, you know, and, and obviously that includes living on campus, which many students aren't doing right now uh, mm-hmm. because of the pandemic. You know, college costs and college prices have gotten out of control. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and, and I always tell students, particularly in this book, that uh, you not only have to have find the right academic fit and the right social fit, but you'll have to find the right financial fit. I saw many students while reporting this book trying to stretch too far to go to the what they consider the right college when they could have had a cheaper, even better alternative uh, closer to home. Looking at all the bang for your buck, because you've looked at all these schools, what's the, uh, what's the best economic deal right now, all things considered? And I know price is what you pay and value is what you get, so I'm not asking you what the cheapest is, notice. What's the best economic deal? Well, the best economic deal for many students is to go to their in-state public university. Uh, it's really, from a ROI standpoint, especially if you get into the flagship university, it is much better to probably stay in state and go to that. But there's a lot of variables to that. But if you wanted to look for the best deal, it's something that I think too many parents and students ignore uh, until it's too late. Now, I think there's another thing that I see people ignoring, and that very often when you're talking about the, the state school, the one that the diploma is going to bear the name of, very often the first two years can be done at a community college, which might be close to free. It's amazing to me that over the last 10 years, the percentage of students making over $100,000 at community colleges has increased from about 5% to almost 30%. So people who can easily afford, not easily, but who can afford a four-year degree are choosing to go to community colleges because they see the same thing. If you're unsure what you want to do, uh, if you don't have the money necessarily to pay for college right out of the bat, you could start at the community college and transfer into a four-year college and save a ton of money. Right, and if your grades weren't 100% off to snuff, maybe you got a couple of years in a community college to be a transferring student, and the diploma ultimately is going to be where you finished up, not where you started. Exactly. And, and again, you know, some of these four-year colleges don't like transfer students, and so they don't make it easy for transfer students. So if you're going to go that route and go to community college and then transfer to a four-year college, make sure you're, you're confident that your credits are going to transfer to the four-year college you want to attend. Right, which is usually a good bet if you're staying in state, but if you're going to that you know, big 
pricey Ivy League school are you going to get in at all? And if so, how many credits? You're absolutely right about that. It's an interesting topic. As I say, it's in the news for the last couple of years because of the admission scandals and people questioning more about who gets in and why. Uh, it used to be you, uh, you know, you took your SAT or ACT and you gave them your transcript and that was the end of it. Uh, it seems like that's only the uh, only the beginning now. So 888-876-5593 is 8888-RALEIGH. If you've got any questions, particularly if you've got someone who will be embarking on this journey in the next couple of years, like maybe one of your kids, uh, you might want to know a few things. And Jeffrey Salingo has some real good insight into who gets in and why. I'm Raleigh James. It's WGN Radio. Jeffrey Salingo is the author of Who Gets In and Why. I've got a link at raleigh.net, R-O-L-L-Y-E dot N-E-T. And I've got him on the phone now. He will answer your questions. So I've got so many of these, so many different directions to go. But looking at the title of your book, Who Gets In and, and Why, and as I said, used to be you showed up with your scores and your grades and you did or you didn't. There's more involved now, isn't there? Yes. I mean, first of all, the entire admissions process is built around the institution and their priorities. They may want more full-pay students. They may want more people from the Dakotas. They may want even more narrow options. They may want more English majors or another uh, baseball player for the team. Right. So there's all these priorities that come into being in, in admissions. The president of the university is handing it down, and it's up to the admissions office to fulfill it. So I tell students, even if there's a 25, if the school has a 25% acceptance rate, that doesn't mean you have a one in four chances of getting in. So I think it's important for students to kind of start the process knowing that, that, uh, that again, and we're talking about the most selective colleges and universities in this country, the top 200 schools. For the most part, getting into all the other schools is actually easier than it's ever been before. The average acceptance rate at American college is 65%. So most students are getting into college. When we talk about this and the schools I fought for this book, it's really those selective colleges that end up rejecting more of the students than they, than they take. We know that the big Ivy Leaguers, the, the Yales and the Princetons and the Harvards, they're very selective. But what are some of the schools off the beaten path that you might not expect it that are equally selective? So, you know, obviously the Ivies and the Ivy Plus, but I was at Emory. You know, one of the schools I follow in the book is Emory University in Atlanta, 15% acceptance rate, very selective uh, university. Not high, you know, not as high as Harvard or Stanford, but but there are a lot of schools in that uh, 10% to 20% range uh, that some people might be surprised to find. And what I found in all those schools is that in terms of going back to what they care most about, they care most about you're playing the song, right? High school. That's what they care about. They care about what what grades you got in high school and the courses you took in high school. Those are the two most important admissions criteria, no matter what institution you're at. And what's interesting about that is the notion of junior high in many areas, I don't know if they still have it, but where your first year of high school is in ninth grade, but most kids have no idea that counts. It, it counts at some places and at other places it actually doesn't. Uh, Emory throws out the grades from freshman year. Where it counts, though, is taking the right courses. And so you want to, you know, so when you're a senior or a junior in high school, you have to be taking the right set of courses in order to get into the senior level map. And those are the courses that you have, you set the foundation for back in uh, back in ninth grade. And so what's critical here 
is that if you're going to go to college, that starting in ninth grade, you really start thinking about the courses that you need to take to set yourself up successfully. And that's interesting because I would also think, depending on where you are, you might not have that opportunity. Uh, years ago, a, a buddy of mine who wanted to go to MIT, uh, his parents had to move to San Antonio from uh, a small town in Texas because they didn't offer anything past Algebra two. so he couldn't have taken Trig and Analyt, or he couldn't have taken uh, Calc, and so literally it meant the family had to move, and while you don't normally think about that in many areas, in some of the impoverished areas, even of big cities, you don't necessarily have the same electives no you don't and and you may not have to go to what your buddy did to the lengths of that where you have to move because now with online education you have the ability to take great online courses uh close to free or free in in these areas and that's how many um elementary schools especially those in rural areas are now teaching elementary and secondary schools are teaching some advanced math and science where they can't find teachers or they can't offer those courses so that students have a little bit of an upper hand when it comes to admission. Uh, you're so right about online, and, and some states really foster it. Other states, of course, want to ignore it as much as possible. Uh, and you're, you're right about it in some states being absolutely free to the, uh, to the student and the family as well, where the, uh, uh, the state picks up the uh, computer fees and things like that. So it, it varies. It varies pretty significantly. But when this first started, there was almost this, I don't know, prejudice against it of, oh, it's online. And I was wondering now, do admissions departments care if you've gotten most or all of your education online? Uh, they, the, it depends on the school, but for the most part, they're not seeing that yet among the 18-year-old set. You know, the 18-year-old applicants that they're seeing largely have most of their high school intact. They had to leave, obviously, in the middle of last spring, right. and some of them didn't go back yet. So they are, they are going to be looking at a variety of factors when they're looking at admissions. They already do that, but they're going to be a lot more flexible this year than they normally would have been. And that's going to be interesting because it sets some precedents. And then you wonder how it's going to be going forward. Uh, in some uh, some schools that are you know accredited in state schools, you can go all the way through, get your Ph.D., never set foot in a classroom until you hit, say, wanting to go to law school. And then the ABA says nothing doing. We're not going to, going to accept that. I would, I would hope that the Medical Society feels the same way, but I don't know. Uh, but as this pandemic continues, it makes you wonder whether more of this is going to become acceptable and the norm. I mean, hopefully we'll be back to the option of returning to school, but I wonder if these schools are going to care if you do or if you stay at home. Uh, Well, they do care if you're going to stay at home because they want the revenue that comes from eating uh, eating in the dining halls and sleeping in the dorm. So that's, that's that's an important revenue source for them. That's an interesting point, because we'll we'll get into how many kids after freshman year are still, even if they're away from home, quote-unquote, are still taking advantage of campus housing. Are they elsewhere? So we are talking with Jeffrey Salingo. Who gets in and why? Got any questions? 888-876-5593 is 8888-RALEIGH. I'm Raleigh James. It's WGN Radio. Jeffrey had just said that what you take is probably more important, maybe even than your grades. And, of course, the obvious standouts are the maths. But other than mathematics, in other disciplines, what are schools looking for other than the norm? 
They're looking for the you took the toughest classes that were available to you. So it does it differs by high school. They get something with the application called the high school profile, which tells admissions officers what was available at that high school. And depending on your major, if you want to major in the sciences and math, you may have you must have taken the most advanced math that you can at your high school and have done well in them. Uh, and that includes AP better than than honors classes. And again, the the majority of them they want uh, that that have been offered to you. So the high school, what they call the high school context, really matters. They want to know what was available to you, and did you do? Did you take the hardest classes that were available to you? Right, but as we're saying this, like I say, I can I can think of the sciences and I can think of mathematics, but in other disciplines, I don't know what the hardest history course or the hardest English course might be. Well, it could be right. It could be AP. I mean, most of the time, that's what they're going to be looking for. If your school offers advanced placement, they're going to be looking that you enrolled in that or international baccalaureate at the IB. So that's what they're looking for often are the IB and AP courses. And the problem is is that that's with some of the students I followed. You know, one student was at a high school that offered 32. The other one was at a high school that offered four AP courses. Right? So how do you compare students who had one of those opportunities available to him and the other who didn't? Well, you hope whatever the school's sending along about what they offer is actually, actually read. But when did this AP stuff start? Um, AP has been around for a, for a while, and 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 but it's become more popular because colleges accept the scores depending on what the student scores, accepts the scores and gives credit for that. So parents and students see it as a cost saving move where they could potentially finish college early with the credits that they're getting from the uh, exams. One thing I did want to touch on is the scandals that are uh, have been going on and are in the news. People are downright desperate to get their uh, their kids into college, and uh, I'm sure that that's not the norm, but as far as plans or schemes or ideas other than bribing somebody that parents and kids have come up with, what are some of those that are really out there? Uh, well, a lot of people still think if they give enough money, they'll get in, but of course you need the money to give. Right. Uh, the other thing is early decision, uh, which is something that most selective colleges offer, which is it's a binding decision. You, you agree to enroll or you agree to apply in November, and then you have to enroll in December if you get accepted. Uh, and so a lot of schools love that plan because it locks up a big portion of their class before the spring. Um, and, and that's a scheme that many parents and students use. Uh, who who know they want to go to a certain place. Um, and then the final piece is athletics. Uh, I was really surprised in writing this book. Even Division three schools you've never heard of that operate athletics departments um, largely because they just want to, um, those students are also kind of let in early as well to, to fill the class. Yeah, athletics, I would think, is a no-brainer. But, of course, you know, again, other than the the scandalized kids, that usually requires you to actually play a sport and be reasonably good at it to to qualify. Yeah, you Uh, can't just take a picture of yourself on a a rowing machine and call yourself a rower. Right, right. Well, you hope not anyway. And, uh, you know, I kind of laugh about this, but uh, this this was a horrible story because I think more than any of the individuals involved, it really kind of shakens the faith of those who are looking at the system. Uh, how widespread do you think things like that scandal are? I don't think they're that widespread, but at the same time, admissions officers don't have time to be detectives. 
So when they get an application, they have to trust everything in it. They don't have time to Google people and try to figure out if the person is saying what they're is saying what they're saying is truth. So they really depend on on the veracity of these applications and the recommendations and so forth because they just don't have the time to do anything else. Right. One of the things I also thought, what used to work, I don't know if it does anymore, is find out what major or what school that they're having the least enrollment in and apply for that. You can always switch to another one later. Does it still work? Uh, well, it does still work if you can switch to another one later. Some schools do not allow you to switch, but but there is definitely a difference between students in certain uh, certain majors, particularly with their incoming test scores and their incoming grades. There are definitely some majors are easier to get into, but you want to make sure that you can actually transfer. It's all fascinating. I enjoyed reading the book. And as I say, the average 47 applications. I I was glad you said back in the day it was only one or two because that was my experience. But now 47 and people like Grace, who had no idea where she was going. uh, That's not the norm, is it? Uh, No, I mean, most of the students have a couple of ideas about where they want to go. But but what ended up happening with the students that I was following is that they would get rejected by a school that was top of their list, and it would throw their whole plan into disarray. And so they would start applying to schools randomly because they were afraid they weren't going to get into anyone. So what I always tell parents is, right, I tell parents, make sure you have a balanced list. Make sure you include schools that you can easily get into and that you're going to be really happy at. Yeah, and make sure you read the book first. I think it's just a a great public service, and thanks for writing it, and uh, thanks for spending an hour with us. No problem. It was great to be here. Thank you. All right.